Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversations podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor, and before we get to today's conversation, I just wanted to say a big thanks to everyone who's been listening to this podcast. We're really enjoying bringing these great conversations about people's career and and motivation and listening to why they do what they do. So we're up over 10 episodes now, and we've got a lot more in the pipeline. So please subscribe on iTunes, keep listening on SoundCloud, and leave us some comments either on our website or over at iTunes. And if you can, please give us a rating. Today's conversation with a gentleman by the name of Robert Sams. Robert I've known for a, for a long time and we met in, uh, in circumstances on the Central Coast where we were in fairly similar roles and I've really admired Robert's work and, and thinking over those years and this really resonates in today's conversation. He does have a, have a great way of thinking about various aspects of life and his career. He's been focused on safety and we do talk a little bit about that and particularly what he thinks about safety and how the world of of safety may be changing. So he's also written a book. So we'll talk a little bit about that through the conversation. So please sit back and enjoy today's conversation with Robert Sams. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay, welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Robert Sams. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. So your job title now, what are you doing? I work here at Lifeline in the Hunter and Central Coast, and I'm the uh, the regional manager for the area. Excellent. And we're sitting in your purpose-built headquarters as we speak. We are over here at uh, Islington yep. in, uh, in uh, the western part of Newcastle. Excellent. So... Yeah. Let's start at the start, though. I've known you for a little while. We met, yep. I think, when we were both sort of starting our careers off mm-hmm. in, in a different place than the hunter. But um, tell me, you, I, I know you as, as safety, as a bit of a guru in that space. Yep. Was safety always what you wanted to do straight out of high school? It's, it's funny, you know, um, the short answer is no. Um, when, I first, when I finished high school, I got into uh, computing science at Newcastle University. Um, I still really don't know what that degree is, and I don't know exactly why I... So why did, why did you do it? Yeah, yeah. well, I think it was just one of those things that seemed to be on trend at the time and seemed to have a future. Um, as I know myself now, I, I understand why I didn't pursue a career down the path of sort of a more scientific career. But um, I actually decided to have a career at, at a year off. Well, a year off, not really. Um, a year off studying. So yeah, fair enough. I thought, I don't really know what I want to do. And I found a, uh, an operations um, kind of role up at Tokel Agricultural College. And I, because uh, you're a Maitland boy, is that right? I'm a Maitland boy. Yeah, good stuff. Um, if you promise not to tell anybody, born in Curry Curry, <laughs> but um, yes, grew up in Maitland, and um, yeah, went out to Tokel and did a year out there in um, in stores operations. It was just a place I I wanted to work. I wanted to get into the workforce. I wanted to take some time to think about what I wanted to do, and I ended up there for the first. Uh, well, that was my first, I suppose, proper job after um, a bunch of stuff that I did through school, you know, McDonald's yep. and pizza delivery and working behind the checkout at Big W. It's a nice place to work, Tokyo. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, um, I was lucky to work some really cool people up there. Um, uh, listeners to your podcast might know in Maitland, uh, Aaron Gollidge. Uh, yeah. You know you're from Maitland, and, uh, and Aaron and I worked up there, and we had a pretty good time, actually, and, um, and learned a long, long way. So was it good to take that year and, and, and earn some money, get a bit of experience as opposed to going to uni? Do you think that was a good experience for you? Yeah, I think... Um, it was a few years after that I decided to move into the world of safety, but uh, I'm so glad that I did because uh, I got some experience working in and with people. Um, 
and 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 not long after I so about a year or so into Tokal, I moved into a a, a job in a workshop at um, at East Maitland, which worked in the uh, mining industry, and um, and as part of that, I got to get my hands dirty on weekends and play with electric motors and cars and all sorts of things. And I think it was that kind of hands-on experience and really getting to know people. Uh, I guess at the front line in in very manual roles taught me a heck of a lot about how to interact with people later on. Yeah. Okay. And that became valuable in your later career. Yeah. You bet. Okay. And so. Did you go? So you were heading towards safety then, or not? So it was it was while I was working in that workshop um, that I, I was kind of the jack of all trades. Um, my job evolved. I ordered parts because I'd worked in a store, and then I started looking after payroll, and then I started looking after a few people who'd been injured and got into workers' compensation, um, and then thought, well, this is and and there were some changes in legislation at around that time, and um, organisations were starting to take safety a little bit more seriously. So. Um, I found the undergraduate course at Newcastle University, and that's where I. Um, so so I what was the degree? So it was a degree in occupational health and safety. Was that at new time. at the time? It, or? it, it was. Yep. I think we were the second year of intake. Yep. Um, I think there was a year of guinea pigs before us, and then uh, then we came through. So do you think that's a on reflection? Is it a brave choice to go and do something that's new? Look, I, I don't think I thought of that at the time. Yeah. I, th- I actually think. At the time, it was something that sounded like it might have a future. So brave, maybe, or opportunistic, opportunistic. and let's see what the world, where the world will take yeah. us. because I think about, like, you know, you've made a choice to not do computer science, yes. made a choice to do safety, thinking about your age and my age being yeah. similar. Um, IT roles would have been booming back in those days as IT came along, yeah. uh, technology was evolving. So supply and demand of economics of employment was probably more in favour of safe safe bet would be do the IT stuff. I, look, I, I'm pretty sure it would have been. I think um, I, I'd love to suggest that at the time this was a conscious choice, but um, really I think I, I had a honing to be with people. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to work with and around people and maybe that's why computer science didn't attract me as much or working with computers. Um, uh, and... I think it was when I started to work in that sort of frontline industry and with people. That's that's what got me attracted into safety. Yeah, well, I really respect that as well. Like I, like I said, that some people would have just taken the the road followed and yeah. and and the one that's going to get them paid the most or yeah. security of employment. But to follow your, your pathway of what you wanted to do, yeah. that that is brave. So yeah, and maybe looking back in reflection, it, it, it yeah. is. And, but, you know, as, as so, a young guy, then you, you do what you think is right in front of you, I suppose. Tell me about your study. Did you work and study or did you just dedicate yourself to study? I did. I think as I was pre- thinking about um, this chat we're going to have today, I was reflecting on, my, you know, as you do, thinking, well, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> it, it's quite funny. I, I did university six years um, part-time and worked full-time. Yeah. And it's kind of been a theme in my life that I've just always taken on lots and enjoyed it. It's yeah. And I think as long as I've been passionate about it, it's not felt hard, but... Yeah, so I did uh, did uni for six years, lugging it out three nights a week at Newcastle. Yeah, okay. And look, I, I respect that as well. I think that's a great way of doing university. Um, vocational study, you, know, you, you would have been taught the theory, but then Monday to Friday, nine to five, that's you're it. actually knee-deep into workers' comp or you know, a safety inspection or whatever you're working on. That, that, that's that's, that's where you really learn as well. So it, it was. It was, you know, finish uni at nine o'clock that night, back to work next day, and let's put it into practice. Let's look out for these things and test these ideas. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so finished your degree. Then what happened? Finished the degree. I, uh, I then uh, took on the big smoke and moved from Maitland to Sydney uh, and 
boy did I learn a lot. <laughs> uh, not only in, in um, <laughs> learning a little bit about Sydney traffic, um, but uh, just... I get the shakes as I go over the Hawkesbury oh. Bridge. <laughs> and I get big smiles when I'm driving out of there. <laughs> it's funny, I, my first job in Sydney, I was living over on uh, the northern beaches and I had to drive over to Smithfield. I did the drive on the Sunday. It took me 45 minutes, maybe a bit less. And on the Monday morning, I left at about 8 o'clock and it took me 2 hours and 23 minutes. <laughs> My boss was meeting me coming up from Melbourne. He flew there and got there quicker than I did. So. Wow. Anyway, some lessons learnt there. So what sort of industry was it? Where, where did you so, work? So I went and worked in a, a company at the time called Discount Freight Express, or they're known as Star Trek now. Yep. So they're Australia's largest uh, privately owned transport company. And uh, I only worked there for nine months. It felt a lot longer. It was, um, it was a real testing time, to be honest. Um, if I thought I was, to make your point before, I'm glad I practised what yeah. I was preaching whilst at uni, but this was a real learning ground for me. This was a pretty tough industry with truck drivers, the Transport Workers Union, um, and all this. Oh, so you were in a safety role? <coughs> I was in a safety role. And um, I, the greatest lesson I learnt there, I remember dealing with someone who had an injury, um, and he was a truck driver. He earned about 1100 bucks a week on average, um, but his normal pay without overtime was $462.30. So I remember I filled out that many forms. And, uh, and he had an injury, so he dropped two-thirds of his pay. Yeah. And um, I remember having all these fancy conversations that I'd learned about rehabilitation in university, and I, I won't repeat the words he used <laughs> in this podcast, but um, I grew up pretty quickly yeah. in the real world. Yeah, I, I remember that. I, I went into a HR role uh, after my degree, and yep. and I tell everyone I remember sitting across the table like we are today and yep. in EBA negotiations with cranky Scotsman mm-hmm. who swore at me, and yep. I went, you don't learn that at uni. No. That's not in 101. No. <laughs> no, it's, there's, it's, I mean, look, you can't beat life lessons, can you? So did you did you see that as a positive experience, or did you go, oh, no, why did I do safety at uni? Oh, oh was this stressful? <sighs> you know, I, I think back... I'm not sure I thought this at the time. I, I, I was probably a bit dirty. Now I'm very dirty. I think what I didn't learn in my university degree in safety was a lot about people. Yep. Uh, I learned a lot about objects and science and how things could go wrong with machines. I learned probably too much about the law because I, you don't come out of it as a lawyer. Yeah. You probably pretend you do and know a lot. Um, but what I learned very little about is people, and in particular, um, people interacting together. Mm. And I think that's a real shortfall. Um, of the curriculum mostly in safety is that it's very focused in the um th- there's a place for it um the stem the scientific sort of stream um but there's almost a, a whole lack of humanities and understanding and um, do you think it's changed since you you graduated is it the short answer yes I, it has changed but not enough and not and and way too quickly i think yep. um I, I get it i get that our society today is really focused on um almost fixated on on a system you know instead of understanding that people were involved in a workplace it's often what's the system fix or what's the the environmental fix and I think um, particularly working here at Lifeline has attuned me into understanding people better yeah okay sounds like you should write a book about something like this which we might talk to later (laughs) later on yeah another thing that you do part-time while you're working (laughs) full-time I think yes so that was a tough nine months yeah did you get did you get a better result next job yeah, well, you know, um, uh, the next job was by far um, the most interesting uh, and exciting, I think. They're probably two appropriate words, but I went and worked for the ambulance service. Yeah, okay. Um, as pretty much their first full-time health and safety manager. and um, That would be an industry that 
would need such systems and protocols around so many different facets of safety? Well, yes, is the short um, answer to that. Yeah, it definitely does. But but it, And this is probably where I started to see safety lacking in an understanding of people because there is no way you could predict everything that an ambulance officer is going to attend, whether no. it's a motor vehicle accident, an industrial accident, and whatever it might be, you know, flying around in helicopters. And so this is where I started to really become obvious to me and see the value of relationships. So even if, I mean, they had pretty good world-class training. There's, there's no doubt you need to administer medicine, you know, move it, people around. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's important, but you watch the relationships um, and you see the value of those relationships. And I think that's where it started to shine on me that there's some other things that are missing in my study. There's some things that are missing for me in safety. Some very important things that need to happen around systems, but there was a limit to that. Um, and I think it's the ambulance service that really, um, where that shone for me. Did it bring you clarity as to why you did safety? I, it did. Um, it, it, it definitely did. Yep. There, there was, uh, because it was, it was interacting. My job was very much about interacting with people because that's the, that's the job. You know, yeah. It is people supporting people. You know, there's machines and vehicles and other things. But, um, yeah, it stood out to me that that was um, something that I was learning about at the time and something that I needed to focus on more. Um, and I, I think that's where I really started to change the way I thought about how safety should be done in so organisations. Different question. Mm. Um, I've seen it and with not just safety providers but, but people in that industry. Sometimes people see safety as black and white. Yes. What you're talking about here is not, that there's a lot of people interactivity in there. Yeah. Um, how do you think that impacts like recruitment? If you're a, a, you know, the ambulance service and you want black and white, then yeah. you've got to recruit for black and white. But is, yeah. it, is that really the job that you need? So, yeah, how, how do you think that in terms of your industry and the space? Yeah. Yeah, Look, I think it's a great question. I think it's a, a, a question that the industry of safety is probably starting to grapple with. Mm. Um, I'm trying to challenge those that work in that industry to start to see that. You know, the, the word that um, that comes to mind that sticks with me in the last few years that I've really stands out to me now like nothing else is paradox or you know, the irony of it. It's the fact that things can be yes, no, and maybe all at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and despite a world where we're forced if we're um you know, it, it's hard to not have a black and white view of the world um i mean no greater example of this i think than than being a parent mm. um i have a 14 year old daughter yeah, and, and i don't wish harm on her at all but but at the same time i know that when she falls off a skateboard that she's going to learn or yeah. she might learn <laughs> and so particularly having a daughter and i know you've got three of them yep. i think uh, you know, there's some tough lessons that we learn in life and some of them are when things go wrong. And yeah, absolutely. So it's it's hard as an organisation, I think, to say, let's have things go wrong so we can learn. Yep. <laughs> but when we can hold a paradox where we can say, well, those both both of those things have to exist um, and we can get a head around that, then I think we can start to be a bit mature in, in safety. And I think that's where the industry can... Um, really start to make a difference is, is if they mature into that way of thinking. Well, that's a good word, mature. Do you think, you know, over this period of time that you've been in it, and if I reflect on my um, approach or not mm. approach but contact with safety as a HR professional, yeah. um, 
I think when it first started, it was a safety committee, yep. tick a box, yes. get things, make sure that you know there's a consultation approach, yep. abide by the legislation, and then deal with any workers' comp that comes through. Yep. Do you think it's evolved from that in the last 15 years? Yeah. Um, I, I think in parts it has. I think um, the one observation I do make is I think there's some really, really caring people that work in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I often write... Um, you know, if it's a blog piece or opinion pieces, those kind of things, in kind of as a critique of the industry rather than a critique of the people in it. Yeah. Because I do think people care. I think we get so caught up in... So, so this whole thing, I guess, of safety is in our world. You know, um, you only have to listen to the sound bites of politicians of all persuasions and, and everything has to have certainty. And it's very hard for them to say, I don't know. Um, so we kind of get caught up, I think, in this world of wanting certainty and for things to be really clear and things to be really black and white. So whether it's safety or any other industry, I think it's fighting against a Yeah, and a you're right. Society. The evolution for me, again, as an outsider looking in, yeah. I think your stereotypical safety officer 15, 20 years ago was the guy who got hurt Yes, you know, in the mining industry. It's yes. the guy who's got a back injury. Yeah. All right, we can't get him back to normal duties, so we'll make him the safety officer. Yeah. And he sits in the corner and runs the safety committee and writes policies. That's that's pretty much where a lot of it started. Yeah, whereas today it's more like you say, it's that person that studied, that safety-minded individual, that maybe innovative individual that can look outside the square to try and find process and procedure to make sure that safety is important. Yeah, I think, and uh, yes, and I think to try and understand the work as it is, um, not as we might imagine it from sitting in an office. Mm. And I've, I've been stuck, in, well, I can definitely say when I started a consulting business and sort of stepping forward a few years, but when I started to consult in safety, um, you could probably make a lot of money from sitting in your, you know, in your pyjamas in your office copying and pasting procedures. Yeah, yeah, from and, the internet. Um, from the internet or yeah. from where you've done it before. And actually, when you do do that, note to anyone listening, make sure <laughs> that you read through them very carefully. Um, you know, but that, that's certainly not very satisfying. And, and, and more than that, it, it makes no difference. Um, and so I think people are starting to understand, as, as simple as this might seem, it's around the, how the work is done. Yeah. And you can't know that unless you're talking and communicating and, um, and conversing with people. So on reflection again of your career, yeah. do you think you have a better mindset to be able to look at safety because you were a storeman, you were working in a workshop, you know, you weren't just someone who came out of a degree, yep. jumped into the, the, the ivory tower or the, the desk, yes. wrote policies. Yep. So do you think you have a different mentality? I, I, look, I think so. I, I, I definitely know I didn't design it that way, but looking back and yep. reflection, as you say, yeah, I think um, uh, an appreciation for work, an appreciation for um, work done at all levels. I mean, even, even in a, a management position here, um, uh, there's certain things that I'll go home and go, oh, why was that important to me? Um, mm. yeah, we, we, you can get caught up in the busyness of, of, of work, of the busyness of doing stuff in an organisation. And I think um, what that taught me was I was pretty grounded, I think, in understanding and connecting with people. Okay. So still in safety? Yes. Where do we end up? Ambulance service? Yeah. Jumping out of so helicopters? Where did you move and, to then? Then I went and worked with a, an organisation called Spotless. Yep. And they're a pretty large, they were at the time, they still are. Um, Is that catering? Yeah, well, catering and some. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, so at the time, they had, uh, I started in their uh, cleaning and building maintenance division. So they cleaned BHP at Wollongong and office buildings and schools and did maintenance at the Williamtown RAF base. Yeah, wow. Also had catering, had industrial laundries, 
food, mobile food vans, and so just uh, a little bit more than catering. Just a little bit more. It's, um, and and it was, maybe I just eat too much. Maybe, maybe I spotted them. Well, maybe it's a sports <laughs> yeah. focus for you. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of stadiums. Stadium, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so it's uh, look. It was it was a really good fun time. I learned lots about lots of different industries and jobs. I mean, there was must wasn't anything they weren't into. Um, and I worked with some really lovely people. I enjoyed that. Um, and, and I've probably got four mentors in life, and that's where I've met the first real person that made a, a difference, Julie Hoskison, who was a, um, a colleague and a HR manager at the time. And, um, you know, Julie would often ask me, oh, well, is what we're doing helping? <laughs> and I thought that's a really poignant question. Yeah. Um, you know, these days we might say, is it making a difference? Are we adding value? Um, I remember her using the word helping a bit and, that sticks with me today. Yep. Um, so Spotless, it's in, I've worked there for about three or four years. Um, uh, started just after the Olympics, actually, because I finished at the ambulance service when the Olympics were on. And uh, <clears throat> what I found myself doing, though, at Spotless in the last probably nine months or so, um, I'm not too bad at presenting. And I found that what I was doing was presenting our what, excuse me, wonderful safety systems to our clients, telling them how wonderful we were at it rather than actually helping people do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so um, so you wanted to get back into the doing? I wanted to get back into the doing. I wanted to get back in to be with people instead yep. of – I was really a quasi-salesperson. Yeah, okay. Um, and it was at that time that I moved to the Central Coast. Yep. Um, so uh, with my um, first wife and daughter, we are up there on the coast and went and started work at Sarah Lee. Yeah, which is and that's where we met. Where we first come across each other. Yep. In fact, we are kind of across the – the tracks. Literally across the tracks from <laughs> yes. where I work there. So I've been in that factory. Like, it's a it's a safety nightmare. <laughs> why, why would you want to go and work there for safety yeah. manager? Well, you know, it's interesting you should say that. Um, when I, when I uh, interviewed for that role, um, it, it was kind of a few things come together, actually. It was, a, it was a pretty good role on the Central Coast. Absolutely. And I was working... Iconic business. Iconic business, you know, big role, lots to do, um, and there weren't many of those roles in safety on the Central Coast, so yeah. it was great timing. Um, and we just moved back there, so it just things fell into place. But um, I remember interviewing for that role, and the HR director, Michelle, said to me at the time, Look, uh, I said, what, what's this role about? What do you want? Oh, we want a really proactive approach to safety. We want to, you know, bring us up to speed. All these wonderful things that sounded really exciting, and I thought, oh, I'm going to put some good stuff into practice here. Um and I walked in, and, and I'm not making these numbers up, but nearly a third of the workforce had some kind of injury where they yeah. couldn't do their normal job. And I had no clue. The manual handling in that place was – because it was an older – I think it's recently been done up, but it has. back in those days, it was an older plant where manual handling was critical to production. It, it was, and it's a few, I mean, there's a few things about it. One, I had no clue. So yep. um, I hadn't had a lot to do with workers' comp. I mean, I had – I'd met that truck driver, and I had – Yep. Some experiences, but this almost became a full-time job for 12 months. Yeah. Um, there was none of this proactive safety stuff. There was, holy hell, how do we get through this? How do we... And it was a very unionised site. Um, having said that, there's some really nice people in that union. Yeah. If you got to know them, built relationships with them, we worked together really well. Um, and look, some of those people did move on with almost everyone's blessing, um, including some of the people um, mm. who were working in jobs that were hurting them you know their wrists their arms their backs every day and we helped them move on to other jobs um we we did that very respectfully um and in their own time and some people actually with some great success stories moved from factory worker to salespeople or yeah. person or 
So there was a lot to be learned. Put them on the tasting panel. Richard, I've heard yes. lots of stories yes. about the tasting panel at Sarah Lee. I think you know Through a little bit wife. about the tasting panel at Sarah. Yes, Friday afternoon was um, was the time to visit there, I've, <laughs> I've learned. And um, uh, yes, that's right. I went through, um, well, I didn't meet yeah, your Ames wife. Ames was but, there. But Ames was, I went to school with Ames and a, and a brother. In fact, interesting fact, I thought as I was thinking about this, Ames and I share the same birthday. There you go. I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> and um, so Sarah Lee, yeah, it was... Um, it was. It was an old factory. It had been pretty much run down by management. Um, uh, it was. It, 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 I think we changed hands three times when I was there, from uh, the Dutch to the States, and and then we went back to the Dutch again. And it was. You know, it was just we were too hard. We were a, a small bucket in a, a small um, drop in a very big bucket of Sierra yeah. internationally. So didn't get lots of attention. But um, boy, you know that there was some. Some really great relationships there. Um, th- there's a guy there, I'd be surprised, Greg's possibly left now, but Greg was there day one um, <laughs> and he worked He worked with Ames in the in the lab. Um, but, you know, people stayed there for a while. It was a bit of an iconic employer. On well, the Albany across the road or across the train tracks was exactly yeah. the same. Yep. Uh, I still remember my boss, I'd walk past, they had a, like a wall of service and, yeah, right. and I'd say to him, you've been here longer than I've been alive. <laughs> And there's another 20 people on that wall with 40 years of service. This is crazy. Yeah. So I think it come down to great employers, um, diversity of work for those guys as they move through, yeah. security of work in that generation. Yeah. So, But today it's changing. So I think so. And, and probably to add to that, there was a sense of camaraderie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, in the last two years, I took on the HR manager role there just some different experience and, yep. and negotiated an enterprise agreement. I have similar experiences <laughs> to what you did. Um, did we have a Scottish? Yes, I think we did, actually. <laughs> they, they all do. <laughs> yes. and, um, you know, in, the, in that negotiating room, it was pretty horrible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you'd walk out and they'd say, oh, Samsy, let's go and have a chat. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I, I think there's roles, there's... Absolutely, it really is. And I, I've, I've talked to a number yeah. of HR graduates over the years uh-huh. and I say to them, it's, it's almost like a charade. Yes. You'd be in the locked room. yes arguing, fighting, negotiating, yeah. and then you'll go out at morning tea and start talking about some bloke and his weekend at the beach or something like that, and you come back into the room. It's You, you do have positive relationships, but those intense moments are yeah, yeah pretty I, cool. I wonder if it's a bit like you know, um, question time. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it's the theatre of it. It's the, it's the, I remember some people... Um, one um, Irene. And we I, staged a walkout one time. <laughs> we we, right? just, we yeah. did it. We, we we timed it. It was almost like um, State of Origin cattle dog without <laughs> the punching. It was like if this happens, we're out. Yep. And we did it, and it kind of just changed the uh, the dynamic of the next round. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's all staged. Yeah. It's it's funny. I mean, I, I I mean, I guess there's a lot of fun in that, but um, I think the relationships that. They were ongoing as well. You Absolutely. Know, like, and, and I'd, if I'd, I mean, I obviously don't live on the coast anymore, but if I was to run into them, I'd, yeah, there's some pretty good people I'd For sure. be no, able to call mates. Same. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So did you come back to the Hunter after Sarah Lee or did, did you stay down the so, coast? So Sarah Lee, uh, no. I, in fact, I um, uh, I moved back to Sydney for three years. Yeah, okay. Um, it was at about that time. So my first wife and I had separated. And, and so for me, it was just going, get stuck into something a little bit different. Yep. Not be too far away from a daughter. And, um, uh, I went and worked for the NRMA group and it was, uh, I saw it as a job that there was stuff needed to be done. In mm-hmm. fact, it wasn't dissimilar as I look back at it now to where Sarah Lee was at with, yeah, okay. not, there wasn't a great culture between the union and the workplace. And, um, I mean, these were roadside assistance guys. I remember some classic stories that, um, you know, they'd blocked George street in Sydney because that's where the head office of NRMA used to be with their vans and 
So there was a lot of history there, but um, and I remember walking into the first safety meeting I was in, and the head union delegate and chair of the committee, uh, committee um, uh, said that I wasn't listed on the agenda, so I wasn't allowed to be in the meeting. I was the safety <laughs> manager, and I said, "Well, if the safety manager can't be here, there's something going wrong." And I said, "I'm not leaving." Yeah. And it's funny, Pete and I are still friends today. He, um, in fact, he came and worked for me. Round long story around, he he left the union and decided that he could make a difference in another way. But but still engaging with the union. It was just like saying, "This is crazy, guys. Yeah. Let's let's work together." And I think um, that I, I didn't intentionally do that. But, um, in fact, I didn't know what I was going to do. But I thought, "This is just crazy." And so um, that that was also a fair bit of fun. There was a there was a diverse business we had thrifty car rentals and a holiday business and five holiday parks and um a set of um motor serve we called them which was like a mechanical workshop so yeah it's a diverse, diverse group as well and yeah. it's not manufacturing like sarah lee so it's again a different kind of industry to service so yeah okay i um yeah and, and it was there that i when i took on that job i first had the idea to run my own business so it was that tell, tell me how that tweaked T- yeah. tell me about that the birth of that I think I always just, I don't know what it is. Um, I've, I've wanted to work on my own. I wanted to kind of have fresh and create uh, different ideas for people. And I wanted, I love the diversity. I think if I look back now, Spotless was great because it was lots of different businesses. Yep. Uh, NRMA was the same because it wasn't just sitting, you know, in one place. It was a lot of diversity. And I think that attracted me to consulting. Do you think it was diversity or people? It's probably both, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's a good point. I think it is probably both. Yep. Um, and... So I basically spent the three years working very diligently at the NRMA, but having an idea in my mind that I'd probably start my own business. Yeah, okay. Um, not sure how and when, and it wasn't that clear to me. But um, so Was there I've, anyone that you looked at and went, I want to be like them, that's why I want to start a business? Or was there a, a gap in the market that you just went, you know what, someone can do this bit better? Or was it just the drive yeah. to do it for yourself? I think that's a good question. I, I think there's probably a bit of all three of that, if I'm truthful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny, um, there were, and I won't name the person. There was a person who I went, oh, that'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yep. And then I've realised that that person, that business, if you like, um, I'd probably call them a crusader these days. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I, I'm out to change the world. Um, and so I thought that was the way to do it. And yep. I thought that, and so I think in reverse, I've kind of learned what not to do yep. by not following that. Absolutely. Um, and, and definitely the variety of working with lots of different people uh, and lots of different organisations, that was attractive. Yep. So you started your own business and then what was yeah. it you were doing? What was the consulting work you yeah. were doing? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, so I started in March 2012 and the company, I called it Dolphin Safety Solutions. And yep. Um, Where'd the name come from? Yeah, it was um, sitting there with my my current wife and said, I want something different. I want a name that represents what I want to be. And so dolphins were around great communicators. Uh, They kind of um, travelled in packs and looking out for each other. And they've known to have great vision. And I thought, well, that's a great metaphor for what I want to be. And and then I put the safety solutions after it to kind of indicate. Yeah, yeah. and, And it's funny that... Um, a couple of years ago now, maybe two and a half years ago, I dropped the safety and the solutions part um, because I didn't want to just be focused on safety as most people would see it, which is the, the guy who goes and checks people. Yeah, creates policy. And then the other one is, I actually think, and this is probably my biggest aha moment in the short time I've been here on the earth, is that there's probably more questions than there are answers <laughs> yep. in a lot of ways. Now, um, so the solutions bit, I just, I don't always have the solutions, but... 
if I can help people come to the solutions for them, if, and, and I guess it's very much about the role here at Lifeline, you know, the counselling that we do, we don't fix people, we don't provide all the solutions. They actually fix themselves if they want to be. Yeah, okay. And so for me... So you're a guide. Yeah, it was a guide. So rather than be the person that I've got the answers, and and, not, and that was a tough, to be honest, because as a consultant, you want to have the answers. Yeah. Um, I, I want to be the go-to person. Well, I was going to ask you about... Your experience as a consultant. This is yeah. what I experienced when I first started my business, and we'd have similar pathways where we'd work yeah. for larger organisations, and and I actually thought I was pretty important. Mm-hmm. I went to big <laughs> meetings, mm-hmm. um, and then I was a consultant, mm. and I was kind of like at the bottom of the food chain almost, or you know, I was delivering a service, and sometimes they didn't listen to that service, and they went and did their own thing, and yeah. and my ego took a little bit of a hit there when that happened. So, did you have an experience like that, or? Or what was your experience going from working in a large, important role to working for yourself? Yeah, I, look, I absolutely resonate with that. I think, um, I, I think, for me, this is one of the real challenges of consulting, and I think some people do it really well. Um, I've never been overly comfortable promoting myself. Um, that's probably about who I, and so I don't have that kind of ego. Um, and so I've always felt uncomfortable and probably not done it well. And then so when I've tried to do it, it maybe I've overcompensated. Yeah, okay. Maybe there'll be people listening who go, oh, I'll you <laughs> that sounds maybe. Um, so maybe I have a, I don't know. I've, I've struggled with that at times doing the sort of, yeah. I am the solution to your problem. Yep. Um, and I'm much more comfortable now saying that I've got some experience. I'm happy to challenge you. Uh, I'm happy to share with you some ideas. I'm happy to ask questions that might get you thinking. Um and if we come to some solutions, awesome. Um, and if you're up for that, that's great. Uh, and if you're not, then I can recommend you to a bunch of people who probably do have the solutions. Mm. Or, um, that's it, about being comfortable in yourself as well. Oh, yeah. And being able to say, you know, and it comes down to the hunger of the business consultant, whatever you are, and, and that's probably the struggle for most people when they do get into a consultancy firm mm. is, or in the, start their own businesses. How do I sell? How do I sell myself? How do I sell my services? Yep. And then hopefully you can reach a tipping point where they're selling themselves yes. and then you can go out there and go, well, you know what, that piece of work that I've just been offered, that's not me. Yes. I should refer that to Robert and yes. he can do a better job than that and then hopefully there'll be some comeback around in some sort of you know, cycle. So, yes. okay. Yeah, I think um, I remember. I, I think there was a... A, a real, I mean, you mentioned the word tipping point. For me, it was a, a real tipping point. It was. It felt like a real uh, big fall. Not not in a harmful way, but from where I was. And it was all about getting to know who I am. And, and I think you're right, being so comfortable in your skin. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I'm there yet. I think that's a, I use the term often adventure rather than journey. Yeah, okay. <laughs> kind of gives the impression that it's a bit up and down. And, um, you know, uh, the adventure's fun and and um, full of surprises. You know, the journey's you know, so tell me about forward. The customer base, was it diverse yeah. and did that make it enjoyable? Were you working with different industries? Yeah. Yeah, I look, it was. That's that's the thing that probably got me through. There were a few not so interesting clients and not so interesting jobs. Um, I had bills, so yep. bills have to be paid. Had to get them done. Um, yes. And it was um, it was in 2012, actually, that made a real difference. I, I then went and studied um, what I probably um, should have studied. Well, not that should. What I, what I really, I think, was looking out for. Um, my whole career, which is around social psychology. Yep. Um, and so I studied under a guy called Rob Long, and um, it's a it it helped me open up and psychology being understand people better. Um, and maybe I wouldn't use the word understand, but appreciate. Yep. 
um, I don't think we totally understand, <laughs> but um, appreciate. And then the social aspect is is very much about what I've learned of who I am, which is um, uh, I studied on a guy called Robert Long. His brother is Graham Long, who only recently finished up as the CEO and pastor of the Wayside Chapel in Sydney. Okay. And um, I should re- recognise those two gentlemen for being other good mentors of mine. Um, Graham has this saying that I think just resonates with me, which is um, the minimum unit of a human being is two. <laughs> and and it is around we are social creatures, we are social beings. Yep. And I think what that helps me do is understand, I mean, you take our work here at Lifeline, but by far the biggest problem with suicide is social isolation, uh, is feeling alone. And, and no matter how well we're connected we are, we feel alone. Yeah. And I think that um, that was what was missing for me in this um, kind of systems or dominated approach to safety or the process orientated was how do we actually build connection with people and and if people are happier at work and they feel like their well-being's being cared for, then perhaps that's part of the puzzle that was missing. So step me through the motivation for doing that study. So you're working as a consultant. Yep. You're working in safety as a consultant. Um, there's a gap for you. There's a hole. Yeah. You find this course that you think is going to fill that hole. Yeah. There's also got to be that end game. Yep. Was it, okay, I'm, I'm going to continue to consult in safety but bring this social psychology into safety and consult in that more holistic manner or was I going to go and do something else after I'd finished my study? Um, the It was definitely the former. Yep. I thought mm, we could do safety differently. Yep. I think as it turned out, I can't quite do safety the way anyone else, well, no, the way it's typically done anymore. Mm. Um, and they, I know that it's about me um, and I accept that. So, so what it turned into is, I guess, starting with trying to understand people as a social so being. Before you move forward, yeah. do you think you're ahead of the safety game? Do you think that, let's, let's fast forward the clock yeah. 10 years and it's now approached differently and you would fit. Do, do you think that or do you think that it's never going to get there? I'd love to think that it will get to a more humanistic um, approach. I, yep. I, I think it's on its path. I think I, I was um, I didn't recognise at the time, but the first I did the study over two and a half, nearly three years. For the first twelve months, I was in a state of what psychologists would call dissonance, but that real unease, a real. I, I remember my favourite saying by far was "Yeah, but <laughs> you know, I get this new thinking, but." Mm. Um, you know, it's a, I use the analogy of my daughter. Um, you know, yes, I know she'll learn falling off a skateboard, but I never want that to happen. Well, yep. now I just go, I, I drop the word never. I want her to learn. I'd let her live. I, and like I'd like to live everyone, live and be as a human being. And I think that's a struggle. I don't think that's easy. I, uh, you know, the natural... So that's you're talking about a, a, a non-workplace safety. Yeah. If we brought that into a workplace safety context, yeah. you know, if you're in a a mining industry, yeah. there's obviously going to be things where you can't just go, okay, we'll just let someone go and learn their lesson there. That's right. And, yeah. and this is this is the this is the tension I think we need to feel in safety. Okay. I think the tension we haven't had the tension, so we've ramped the um you know the foot down on the systems approach and we have to it's it's almost like um uh, let's get as much cotton wool as we can and just continue to go throw a cotton wool on. And I absolutely get that. 
Does that um, come down to also legislation? Like the duty of care falls directly on the employer. So therefore the employee can go, well, oh, I don't have to take responsibility because I've got this duty of care from above. Yeah. I, I look, I think that's what happens in organisations is yeah. they – I think sometimes they're misled by that though. I think there's a key word in the legislation, and there's probably many, but that stand out to me is reasonable. Yeah. And it's, it's not – you know, we – if you're a building contractor and you throw a 16-year-old on his first day up in the roof without a harness on, well, you know, I, yep. there's no Not argument reasonable. for that. Um, but, you know, if you're doing all that is reasonable, um, and that's maybe a little bit of cotton wool, but how can people learn if they're wrapped in so much cotton wool? It's a re- that's why I mentioned the word paradox before. I think yeah, yeah. With paradox, I think you struggle. It's, it's because you have to go yes, no, maybe all together. And there's tension in that because we want the black and white, which is here's just the 10 things you need to do and you'll be fine. But we know there's always an 11th and a 12th and the seven changes. And so I think that's a real challenge for us is to break away from that. And that's what I meant by more humanistic. Yeah. But, but you're um, right. In workplaces, it is yeah. hard. Are there any workplaces that are forward thinking or ahead of the curve or yeah. you know, beacons in the in the light uh, or in the night is there anyone that's standing out um there's a couple i, I worked for uh the first five years in fact i just finished up last year with um a company called harris farm markets who yep. are known around new south wales they have 25 or six stores now i think family run mum and dad are on the board with three brothers that's quite a dynamic going to one of those board meetings <laughs> um and and interestingly though there's it's not less well. There's a little less bureaucracy than probably their equivalents, but there's a sense of care that comes through the family. They're, they're by no means perfect, um, and if they're listening, uh, love you lots. But um, <laughs> but you know they're, they're just the three brothers were co-CEOs, so it's not an ideal yeah, dynamic. Tough. But there's a different relationship with that than I guess what we, you know we might be forced to do in the more corporate world. Um, and, and I do think the larger the organisations get, the harder it is. You know we. Social psychology thinks about human beings organising um, ourselves in, into groups or into work, and I think the organising is easier. <laughs> the more organised we are, the less messy things are, the less grey things are, and we like things to be um, black and white, so the messiness and the grey is hard. So we organise almost to the extreme. So I do think the larger organised... You know, I remember when I was at, at the workshop that I mentioned you know, a couple of jobs in, you could have a beer on a Friday afternoon um, and, and pretty much everyone could come together and you'd know people by name. You, you just can't get that in a large no, size. You know, I, I remember once going to a, um, a Christmas party and I think there was something like 3,000 people there, you know, in an organisation. So relationships are it necessarily is. different in large Absolutely. and small organisations. So it's, it's hard in large ones, that's for sure. So this philosophy you're, you're talking about, maybe you should write a book about it. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought about that once. <laughs> so yeah. tell us, uh, I jest, you know, yes. you've written a book. I have. Um, so the book um, really is a chronicle of and a reflection of that period of time that I studied and the, the uneasiness that I was going through as I was transitioning from, you know, almost from a safety cop to a safety counsellor almost you yep. know, changing my focus from policing people to meeting them yep and it's a really good word because that's what it was 15 20 years it was police it, it was and and you know there's a place for the police yep. so I, i'm really careful not to poo poo and say no, no you don't need but yeah so it's just let's not have it all that way yeah and 
So I, um, as I was going through that, I started to, to write blogs and reflection pieces and obviously I was writing um, essays and um, I had this idea that, so I was still running the organisation of my business at the time, consulting, I thought, well, someone mentioned to me the best business card you can get is writing a book. Yeah. How do you articulate what you can do? I spent a bit of time on my website and doing videos and then I thought, you know, I'm going to do this for a few reasons. I'm going to sit back and think about who I really am. If I'm going to think about that, I'm going to write it down, then that's going to force me to really check in with myself. And then the other thing that I was able to do is share that with a great mate that you and I know, Max yeah, Guy. Max. And, uh, and Max, unfortunately, so we published the book in uh, August 2016. And, uh, and I say we because Max, um, I wrote most of it, but Max was a dearly trusted editor. He was your biggest advocate. <laughs> he, he was a great man. Yep. Um, and he died in, in one year later, actually. So we're just coming up to his anniversary. And yeah. um, and, and I miss him dearly, but it's funny. I I have very fond memories of, of our time together. He was um, – so for those that don't know Max, I'm you know, early 40s. Max was mid-60s. <laughs> and he went back and studied, postgraduate studies. That's where I met him at, at university. Yeah. Uh, at the age of 58, I think he was, something like that. And um, my God, he was just enthusiastic. He was. Um, so the book is a reflective journal, I called it. Um, it's called Social Sense Making. So saying that you know, the thesis really is that um, we really only make sense in our life when we're sharing it with others, that point I made before about minimum unit of two, and encouraging us in whatever industry we're in, in, in whatever field we're in, to think about um, the value of social connections and how we can really um, join together and make a difference, I guess. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Tell me about how the book... So I find it really interesting that you, you've decided to push the button on, on the book. Yep. You had Max as... Was he the editor or was he quasi-editor or was he... Well, what, what, what was his title? <laughs> he was definitely the editor. Definitely um, the editor. I, I, look, I decided, and I, if anyone is listening to this and is thinking about writing a book and self-publishing and doing all that stuff yourself, give me a call. Yeah, well, that was that was uh, the question was going to. <laughs> tell me how hard it was. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I the writing was not so hard. I enjoyed that. Yep. It was my way of sitting back going, who are you? It was yep. a real self-reflective piece. Um, Max asking me questions and testing, that was fun. Um, and, and so was the rest of it. I mean, for example, in the in the um, the book cover is is hand drawn. Mm. So we arranged a lunch. Max and and James and Aaron, three friends of mine, and I asked an artist to come along, and listen to our conversation because we all studied together, uh, with the exception of Aaron. Actually, we wanted someone who hadn't been part of that in group, and I asked Melinda. Uh, we had lunch at her place actually, um, sat around had a casserole, and she just drew what we were talking about. And so it was a lot of fun. And then I sent that off to a graphic that artist who cover, hey? made the cover. And um, I decided to make the look, book look really good. I'd seen a lot of self-published and um, self-published books that were kind of you know word documents thrown together at a, at a local printer. So invested a bit of money to make it look half decent. Uh, what I thought looked half decent. Um, and uh, you know, and then we printed a thousand and I think now in the two years we've sold in fact D asked my wife asked me this on the weekend it's about 750 so yeah good you know it's you know, all self done there's no publicist there's no yep. to my point before I feel somewhat uneasy promoting myself yeah. so to get out there and try to do that but did did writing the book achieve the goal that you set out I achieve? certainly did yep. yeah I feel like I know myself a lot better um, it, it was to an audience of mostly safety people to say, hey, look, if you're looking for something different, here's a path that I've, yep. I've travelled down if, if you're up for it. 
happy to share his, uh, you know, some of my experiences, and um, and it got me thinking. So okay. So I want to talk to you about Lifeline. So you've been involved with Lifeline for how long? I uh, started in November 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the year I started my business. And I remember saying uh, to Dee and another friend, I think you know, Robert Fogg. Yeah, um, I do know Robert. I, I wanted to have something that was not about money. Um, I, I was concerned, uh, concerned or just cautious that in a world of consulting that everything would be you know a daily rate or an hourly rate. And I, I just get so concerned about the world being consumed with money and mm-hmm. individualization and privatization of ourselves almost. So I wanted something that grounded me. I wanted something that I was so doing. So why wasn't about that. Yeah. Um, I'd known some people who'd had some serious challenges with some pretty serious mental um, health concerns, um, a couple with mental illnesses that really debilitated their life. And uh, what I liked about Lifeline is um, we are – it's a national organisation with our telephone number here in Australia that's you know, 24-7, yep. um, but it's a local. Um, so it's got 42 centres around the place and there's a real localness to it. And yep. what I wanted to do was be part of a local community organisation. Um, in this case, just happened to be um, part of a national brand and a, and a national presence. But um, So I had a conversation with Robert, who I knew at the time, and he was also on the board and... Um, they were looking for some of the skills that I had, so that um, so that was November two thousand and twelve, mm-hmm. and uh, so I stayed on the board up until May last year two thousand seventeen, and uh, and I was the chair of the board, and we had some changes uh, internally, and uh, and our CEO left to go back to her family business, and uh, we were moving a few different lifeline centres together. I won't bore people with with the mechanics of that, but um, uh, the board had said, look, we probably want to have someone locally to. Um, keep this going, could you do that job for 12 months? Yep. And, um, so I put my hand up and said, yep, uh, agree to do it four days a week to keep the business going, yep. consulting business. And that finished two weeks ago? Yeah, last I was about last to say, week. Yeah, yes. how, how long into the 12, week, 12 <laughs> yeah. months? Are so you? that's just finished and yep. uh, I'm still here. So that's an indication that I'm doing another 12 months. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, and this is, this is a wonderful organisation, great people. We help people with a time when they're at their most. So need. is this, this the relationship piece for you? Yeah, I had no clue what I was. Well, that's not fair. I, I had some idea what I was getting into, but it was very much a, a year of transition to help a team. And yep. um, what this has become is, I don't think I can leave what this um, organisation and many others like us. We're not alone um, in helping people in community. Um, so much so, I've now studied counselling. I've done the lifeline counselling course. Yeah. And yeah, you know, twelve months time, I'm. We'll probably still be here, but if I'm not in a paid role, I think I'll be You'll still here as a counsellor. Yeah, I love that uh, you're a Maitland boy and you're bringing services to Maitland as well, which is you exciting. Bet. You bet. Yeah, yeah. we've recently opened a face-to-face counselling up in Maitland, and and you know that that sums up what we do. I like to say um, we're in community, so we're here today at our office in Newcastle, but we're out there where people really can access us. So that's not a barrier um, for people in the Hunter area. You know, getting from Maitland and Newcastle is not always easy. Um, we're in community for community and with community. You know, mm. it's, it's that we don't exist for any other reason than to be with people, yep. and um, and that's pretty cool, I reckon. Okay, so let's put you in the career conversations ah. time machine. So you've talked a lot about your career and the pathway that you've taken. Yeah. If you could rewind the clock back to twenty-year-old Rob, yep. What advice would you give him now? It's it's funny, isn't it? I I thought about this and go, you know. This is a good reflective piece. I probably wouldn't make change much. I think yeah, good. I like letting things emerge. Yep. 
Um, I was probably more anxious back then and needed to plan more, needed to know what was going to happen. So I probably just suggested myself take it easy on that that side of things. Um, but I think the one thing that I reflect on now that really is important is um, knowledge is not about what you know. Um, it's really about discernment. Yeah, okay. It, it's not just what's in your head, how many books you've read or what courses you've done. Th- those things are important. But without the ability to discern and make sense of things and critically think about stuff, you know, if I'm watching the TV with my daughter now, I want to make sure she knows when a TV news piece is an advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got to be really discerning. If, yeah, okay. if we're going to break through fake news and all this other stuff, we've got to be better at discerning. And that doesn't just mean knowing more stuff, but yep. it means filtering it and being smarter with That's it. That's a big challenge in today's world. I think it's one of the greatest challenges we have. I think, um, I, I hate the phrase dumb down. I, it bugs me. So I was talking with a friend the other day and said, help me with another one. And they said, ignorant bliss. And I think it's easier to live an ignorantly bliss life. Yeah, absolutely. It's harder to be more discerning, but we need to challenge ourselves to try and do it. Okay. Got another book in you? Halfway through. Halfway through? <laughs> yes. Good stuff. It's. Uh, I found it to be my therapeutic kind of, uh, it's just the thing I do on weekends when I've got spare time and yep. after hours. It's It's just got me thinking, you know, to my point before. So, um, yeah, not sure. What, the, the first one took me about four months to write. It was going to be 12 months and I just got stuck in this Good. one. Yeah, just longer. went bang. But this one's... Um, what are you writing about? So the working titles, We Don't Need Another Hero. Okay. And it's and it's really trying to help us, probably to the points we've talked about today. Um, if we understand... You know, I think... You know, I'd love my daughter to be looking up to me and saying, Dad was a great mentor, but I, I'm no hero. I'm no anything special that we... Uh, she's only my daughter because we're together. You know, it's not about me as an individual, I yeah, guess. Yeah, okay. So trying to... I think, I think the world is struggling with what I would call the privatisation of ourselves. You know, us as individuals, I see you know, likes on Facebook as being a measure of a good life or yep. you know, all that stuff that I don't need to bore you with. But um, how, how do we make it not about ourselves mm. and how do we make our lives truly about being for others? And in an altruistic way, but... Um, That's really interesting, interesting and powerful. We have a saying in our yeah. little household that yeah. um, whenever they fight or whenever something <laughs> happens, I say, what's life about? Yeah. And the response is life's about making other people happy. Yeah. Because that's what how I want them to live. Yeah. Um, tough thing to do in this day and age. I, yeah. And, and I've come to the conclusion there's nothing's ever done in life. We're just continually doing it. You know, we're beings, mm. not bees. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's okay. It's a work in progress. But I think as if we can, re- can remember our roots and connection is the key, then a heck of a lot of our problems in the world will be a lot better than... If if we could just remember how we we need to be with each other. Excellent. Well, great conversation. Thank you for your um, depth of knowledge in uh, your your pathway and and open and honest uh, answers today. So, And good luck with Lifeline and what you do here. Thanks, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to today's Career Conversation podcast and a special thank you to our guest, Robert Sams. We'll leave some links on our website to Robert's LinkedIn profile if you'd like to learn more about him. But more importantly, we'll leave a link to be able to purchase his book. It's dolphin with a Y, D-O-L-P-H-Y-N dot com dot A-U slash news slash books. And his book is called Social Sense Making. 
I just also wanted to give a bit of a, a shout out to Max Geyer. We we mentioned him during the podcast, and look, I know he's not with us anymore, but a great, a huge thanks to Max for his support of Robert, but also he was a good friend of mine and uh, someone that I met later in his life and, and really enjoyed the time and conversations that I had with him, and I truly wish he could be one of our guests on the Career Conversation podcast, so we miss you, Max. If you want to hear more of our podcasts, please subscribe at iTunes, um, either at uh, our webpage, hrgroup.com.au slash podcast, or on SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening to the Career Conversations podcast. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor.